Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Dear Lord, we lift this time to you. We're here to worship you and to honor you and to bless you. And Lord, we thank you for your presence here in each of us that knows you that are sitting here, but also your, your very presence within this building. And we pray, Lord, that this morning that you would help us to become living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. So God, use this time to teach us and to guide us and to open our eyes to the amazing truths that you have for us. We pray that you would use your servant Paul to that end. And we just pray that, Lord, that he would be, bring fire from this pulpit this morning. And that you would use him to speak to each one of our hearts. And that our lives would be changed today because we heard from the living God. So again, Lord, just use this time for your glory and speak to us. Your servants are listening. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. How is everyone this morning? It was really cold this morning. At least it it reminded me of England, but not in the way I like to be reminded of England. So uh, we have two major uh, prayer requests. One of them is for Kayla Jones. Um, The information I have is that she's hospitalized. Do we have any further information on that? Yes. Um, I would have had the same message. I forgot my phone this morning. So, But, um, uh, yeah, Kayla has really been struggling with Lyme and uh, se- several tick-borne diseases and uh, has really kind of ruined and wrecked her life. Yeah, she's a young lady. And uh, it's a very sad situation. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll pray obviously for her physical health and recovery and, and so on as, um, some of us have been continuing to pray for her. There's another issue, you know, which can't be really spoken too much from the pulpit, but it has to do with reconciliation. It has to do with reconciliation, uh, with those who, um, either have sinned against her or she perceives have sinned against her, who have asked her forgiveness and she has not granted that forgiveness. And um, I'm not, there's, there's not any judgment in that as far as I'm concerned and uh, as far as a condition, but it is a major concern that... Um, that Kayla does reach out to the people she needs to reach out to. That's that's really an important prayer. There's more involved here than just just Kayla's physical condition. And then Lacey, you remember Lacey, uh, Artie's daughter, um, 
lives up in Reading. Is she still in Reading now? Yeah, lives up in Reading. And uh, so there's a medical concern there. There's nothing I'm going to talk about here, but uh, um, is she going to be examined this coming week? This coming week. So uh, we'll pray for Lacey that um, it's not anything serious. If Yes, for Lacey. If you want more information, then uh, talk to Artie, and uh, she will tell you what she wants you to know. So let's pray for those two things this morning as we come together. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we live in a sin-cursed world and sin ravages in many places and hurts and has power to afflict our bodies and if we allow it also to afflict our souls. We know, Father, that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world And we need to look upon our lives here as not being the goal of what we were created for, but having meaning and purpose nonetheless. We pray that we would be wise as we live our lives and that we would uh, be in communion with you and with your word as we uh, live from day to day. And Lord, we ask that you would, even in this dire time with Kayla, we pray, Heavenly Father, that something, some, something to reverse the effects of Lyme disease, some cure, something that, that, uh, has not been tried or, and, and failing that, Lord, your divine intervention. Uh, would give her her life back again and would heal her. And so we pray, Lord, for that. And we pray also for um, any ongoing um, lack of um, forgiveness or humility that, Lord, that will be brought to her also and that she may be reconciled to those who she needs to be reconciled to. We pray for those that are looking after her. We pray that you would be given, they would be given wisdom to counsel her, Father, not just medically but also spiritually. And then we pray for Lacey and we ask, Lord, that um, there is nothing serious wrong with her, that uh, these issues can be cleared up quickly, that, that there is no ongoing problem, Lord. We just pray for that right now. We ask, Lord, for any sick among us or any that are struggling right now, that you would bless them and draw close to them. May we be made aware where we can help. And we ask these things, Father, not in the name of any human uh, potentate, but in the name of the Son of God who came into the world and died in the world and knows our weaknesses and knows our ills. We pray, Heavenly Father, in that name. Amen. So if you would turn with me to Psalm 36 as we take communion together this morning. Psalm 36. thought we'd do something a little bit different. And I wanted to do something that's in line with the message that I'll be bringing to you um, in a few minutes' time, which has to do with the transformed mind. Psalm 36, verse 9, it is a little verse, 
But it's a very important verse. It's a great one to memorize. Psalm 36.9 goes like this. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I'm going to be coming back to that in the message, but the life that's being spoken of here is not just the physical life that we enjoy, which is a gift of God, but it is the life of God. It is life as we are supposed to live it, as we've been designed, created to live it. The life that sin has blighted, but Christ has given us an opportunity to live anyway in his kingdom. This fountain of life has been given to us in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But the source of the fountain of life is the broken body of the Son of God. If you were to trace this fountain of life back to where it emerges, you would see the blood of Christ that was shed for us. You would see a grotesque sight just outside of the walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It would be ugly. It would be, there would be a lot of anger. There would be also a lot of mockery. It would be very worldly, bringing out the worst side of what the world system is like. And yet there in the middle of it would be the Son of God, contrasted against it, and yet misunderstood completely by those crowds that were around it. Just a few dotted here and there in the crowd would know the full significance. And even they wouldn't know actually the full significance. They would just know who it was that was being crucified. And that all the charges that were brought against him were unfair and unjust. And that all of the remarks that were being hurled at him were foolish and unthought out. So as uh, the stewards come forward and as uh, you come forward to take communion this morning, think about the source. Think Think about the source of the fountain of life that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray now, and if you would uh, form the two lines to come and take communion this morning, we'll do it this way. Heavenly Father, These simple elements, two very simple and inexpensive things, they symbolize, Lord, the contrast between your plan of salvation and the world's idea of um, the way it should go. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. The way of God leads to life. And we who have trusted in Jesus Christ as your son and our substitute for our sin, we acknowledge, Lord, that what he did was for our life for our forgiveness, for our salvation. When we partake of the bread, Lord, may we be reminded again of the great cost, the physical cost that Jesus endured on our behalf. If you would come forward.
The text continues, in your light we see light. In the context of communion, we might think of the blood of Christ. Because the blood of Christ is just the blood of a man. It's just human blood. That's what it was. You would test it in a lab. It would have been O positive or something like that. It would have been the blood of a man. But we can see differently that what that blood was. If we shine God's light upon it, we see it for the blood of the new covenant that was shed for our sins. And so let's take a, a moment just to meditate, just to pray quietly and thank God for this symbolism. Father, you sent Jesus into the world and you prepared him a body. And you also intended that that body be broken because of human sin. We recognize, Heavenly Father, that the fountain of life has a source in the broken body, the dead body of Jesus. Let us take the bread together. And we acknowledge also, Lord, that Jesus was a man of flesh and blood just like us. But that blood was blood that did not need to be shed for his sins. That blood was special. That was offered on behalf of others. It was offered on our behalf and accepted by you, Lord, as being a sufficient payment for all of our sins so that those that are in Jesus Christ are covered, as it were, by that blood for sins past, present, and future. We do not take advantage of that as if we still had worldly ways of thinking about it. We acknowledge your grace. We acknowledge your great work. We see differently. We are now children of the blood of the new covenant. Let's take it together. So we are... Sermon number 10 on our series on the sanctified life. This is going to be the last one in this series until the new year. But I wanted to get here. I wanted to get to this point to speak about our thinking, our minds, our outlook, our understandings. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When it says knowledge there, it's not talking about general knowledge. It's not talking about being able to be the next contestant on Jeopardy or passing an exam or something like that. It's talking about a deeper knowledge. It's talking about being able to answer those deep questions, those eternal questions about meaning 
What is this world? Why is it here? Why am I in it? Why am I the way I am? What is my life about? Where am I going? All of that. What is the meaning and purpose of my life? The answers, and there are answers, not just one answer, concern creation, God's original intent, God's existence, God's character, God's willingness to help us, our sin and depravity, and the understanding that this world, this uh, environment that we're in, it's temporary. There's an eternal kingdom, a very different kingdom that we are a part of. We're not in, in it now, but we have, as it were, our passports. We are citizens of that kingdom. We're headed there. And we need to see life in those terms. You see, it's understandable that that people in the world who don't have Jesus Christ and, and don't have the Holy Spirit to guide them in the reading of the Bible, that they're going to see their lives in a certain way. And they're going to see the world and and things around it in a certain way. And their idea of what purpose is, is going to be manufactured out of those misunderstandings. Do you see? They've got it wrong. They've got the meaning and purpose of life wrong. They don't see what they ought to see. They actually do not see reality for the way it is. And we can be like that. It's easy to be like that. It's easy to follow along with the crowd. We speak their language. We shop in the same places. We go to the same places of employment. We, uh, we may sit down to a meal with them. And, of course, all of that is, is good and fine. But we are not supposed to be like them. Our values are supposed to be brought to bear upon the world because we are in the word of God. They're his values that we have believed and we are using in the world. That's going to be a contrast to the values of the world. Our understandings of what is important and what is not important is going to be different than the world. And if, if our values are the same as the world's, that's an indication that we're, we may be Christians, but we're in the flesh. And our minds are not being renewed. When Paul here in Romans chapter 12 And verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He doesn't mean that's a a button that you can flip and it, or, or press, a switch you can flip. And that's it. It's in the on position for the rest of your life. That would be great, wouldn't it? All you need to do is find the, find where the button is, press it and you automatically now see the world as God sees it until God takes you to be with him in glory. But we know that that's not reality. We know that, in fact, every day we need to find that button and press it. Every day we need to make the effort to think differently 
And if we don't make the effort, folks, then we will be thinking about ourselves, about the world, about values and so on, about what's important in the same way that the world does. And so, when it comes to living a sanctified life, how can you live the sanctified life? And the word sanctified means separated unto. How can you be separated unto God if your mind is still in the world? If you are still thinking in the same way that the world thinks. It is not possible. Now, I know this is sermon number 10. And I started out by speaking about the fear of God. But I could have put this at number one, couldn't I? The reason I didn't put it at number one is I wanted to get to this. I wanted you to see about the importance of the fear of God, about what sanctification was, about the importance of the word of God, about about the importance of of, uh, the fact that we're God's special people and the rest of the things that we've covered so far. But none of that is of any use if we are not willing to have our minds transformed. Christianity is about the mind or it's about nothing. You say, well, what about the heart? It is about the heart, but you need to understand something about what the Bible means in the Old and New Testament about the word heart. It doesn't mean what Hollywood means. It doesn't mean your emotions. It means your controlling impulses. Your mission control center, as it were. Do you see? Both thinking, as a man thinks in his heart. Do you see? So is he. So your thinking, life, and your emotional life. Together, the real you. So in this passage, in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul addresses that particular issue he does in other places too but this of course is a famous passage and uh, it's very very helpful for us to unpack this morning let me read it to you i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I have four points this morning, but we're going to buzz through them fairly quickly. The first one is the presentation of our bodies to God. He does speak about our bodies. Look at verse 1. That you present your bodies... That you present your bodies. Why doesn't he say that you present your souls? Because the problem is very often our bodies. The problem is our five senses. The problem is our vanity. The problem is um, where we go with these things. What we do with these things. And our bodies are, I mean, they're more than this, but think of it in this term. They're machines that are made for a purpose. So you might uh, go to a building site, and like me, you might you know, see different pieces of equipment on the building site, and some of them are big and impressive and got big wheels and big uh, shovels on them or big things that, that can move earth, dig things up or whatever. And you might wonder what they're for. But it's not until you see them at work that you know that they're actually there to do a specific job. Okay? You might think, oh yeah, they're used for this or they're used for that or they'll be useful for doing this. 
but they actually do a specific job and then they are taken off the, the lot and they're taken away. They're there to do something particular. Our bodies are given to us for particular functions. And if we're not careful, we'll think we can take these bodies and have them function in ways that God never intended them to function. Put them in situations or use them in ways that Satan is very happy about and we might be temporarily quite happy about, but that dishonors God and his intentions in making us physical in the first place. If you'll turn to chapter 6 of Romans, verses 12 and 13, Paul brings this out here. Romans 6, 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So sin's there, as it were, almost personified, and you're presenting your body to it. Don't do that. But, rather, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There's the purpose. That's what the body, the the body of the Christian is to serve the righteousness of God. There are other things it can do, but it shouldn't be doing them. This goes into a number of different areas, which uh, I can't, I can only touch on, and we'll probably get back to further on in the series. But it has to do with some people worship their bodies and looking at their bodies all the time. Okay, just the idea of vanity. Some people want other people to worship their bodies. And so they make sure that they present as much of their bodies to other people as possible for the public view. Some people want to use their bodies sexually or in other ways that desecrate them and that they were never useful in an unholy way. Some people want to fill their bodies with garbage or, like me, a lot of the time, because I want to relate. They fill their bodies with good stuff, but just too much of it, apart from the chocolate and we're not talking about But you understand, there is a responsibility that we all must have to our bodies. But, you know, we're not going to take that responsibility seriously if we don't transform our thinking about our bodies. Do you see? And Paul says that it is our reasonable service to do that at the end of verse 12. To present our bodies a living sacrifice, because we're not dead. I mean, we live, we function, we move around. But we are to be holy, that is, separated, and acceptable to God. I'll come back to that. And it is reasonable for us to do that. But it's only reasonable to the mind that thinks it's reasonable. Do you see? It's only rational if you have a... Sanctified mind. If you have an unsanctified, ungodly mind, it's not reasonable at all. 
So you're going to find, and I'm going to find, that if we will not renew our minds from day to day, we're going to find some of the things that God says to be unreasonable. And we'll only see that they're reasonable to the extent that we transform our minds daily. Because the the world thinks it's crazy, half of what Christians believe and half of the reasons that they do what they do. They use their reason, they use their logic, which is given by God, but they use it for an ungodly purpose. Misusing the gifts of God. What about us? Do we misuse the gifts of God? Romans, if you'll go to uh, verse 36 at the end of this chapter, it says, For him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. 11.36. You see that? For him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I need to uh, live a sanctified life. I'm not part of the all things. Or am I? Should I be? Yes. As a redeemed son, daughter of God, of course, I should be somebody who gives glory to God. I'm not somebody who rebels against this doxology in verse 36. I'm somebody who wants to be part of it. Therefore, it is reasonable, if I believe verse 36 of chapter 11, it is reasonable for to offer my body to God. You see where Paul's coming from here? Christianity is not irrational. It's rational. The most rational thing. Now, it's not coldly rational, but it's never illogical. Satan is illogical. Satan is unreasonable. Christians are reasonable. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, don't turn to it, I'll just quote it. God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Is that reasonable? Does that sound reasonable to you? I mean, we are talking about the holy God, are we not? I mean, the demons, when they were being cast out by the Lord Jesus, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Sometimes we forget that. He's the Holy One of God. We're supposed to be holy too. So we to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It is reasonable for us to do that. Thirdly, Paul speaks about conformity to the world in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, this age. That is the things that have gone on and humanity has practiced and thought and valued and so on for millennia. But as we're in this particular generation in the West, the things that we are surrounded with, the culture that we're surrounded with, okay? All cultures are not equal. Now, we're told that they are. Our kids in public schools, I say that all cultures are equal, but they're not. Some are more ungodly than others. Some are more influenced by Christianity than others are. Some have values that comport more with the Bible than others do. But there is one culture that should stand out, and that is the culture of the church. Because the church is not going to be conformed to the ways and the values of thinking of this world. Paul says, do not be conformed. Why does he have to say that? Why do I have to read that? 
and remind myself about it. Because I have a this awful, annoying, frustrating tendency to be conformed. That's why. It's because there is no switch that I can just switch and that will change me forever. I need to go and change it day in, day out. I need to, when I get up in the morning, understand that, hey, I've got to go and reset my thinking. Uniformity, sorry, not uniformity. I can't read my own writing. Unconformity, unconformity takes effort. Unconformity takes effort. Now, it takes effort in two different ways. It takes effort because the world is going one way and we're supposed to be going another way. Therefore, we're going against the current. That takes some effort. It takes effort in this other way, and that is we've got to fear God, not man. If we fear man, okay, we will never put the effort in or we will never be, be strong enough to make the effort. Because we don't want to be the odd one out. But folks, we're told that the devil is the God of this age, the God of this world. Which means we're God's people in the devil's world. Let's put some effort in to realize that and realize what it takes. Do not be conformed to this world. The church is terribly, not this church per se, but the church generally is terribly compromised in its position regarding the world. Terribly. Half the churches can't make up their mind whether abortion is actually evil. and a number of other things that we'll be touching upon further on in this series. And so we get to our point, point four. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Mind transformation. Mind transformation. This is where Psalm 36.9 is helpful. With you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So am I, are you in God's light? Are you seeing things the way you should be seeing them because you are standing in God's light? Because if you're not, what you see, to extend the metaphor, is darkness. In your light, we see light. And if you're not in God's light, you don't see God's light. You see? You don't see light. You don't see the world the way it is. You don't see it the way you're supposed to see it. And you're just the same as everybody else. C.S. Lewis, uh, who I recommend to you, is a, um, wrote some great books, of course. But he was also a great essayist, and one of his best essays is called Meditation in a, in a Tool Shed. Typical C.S. Lewis. Meditation in a Tool Shed. So he's in a tool shed, as you are. And he's in this tool shed, and he notices there's a, there's a beam of light that comes through a hole in the shed. And he can see, you know, the, the dust and so on in the light beam. Everything else in the tool shed is dark. And Lewis being Lewis starts to meditate on it, starts to think about it. This is where his meditation in a tool shed comes from. And he says, look, if I position my eye along that beam of light, then I see things outside and I see along the beam. Or I can remove myself from that and look at the beam. Now, we should be doing both things. Don't get me wrong. 
when we look at the beam, we're looking objectively, oh, here's a beam of light, okay? And we are to objectively look at the world and say, oh, this is what I see, this is what I hear. But then if we are going to understand the world for what it is, we have to, as it were, join ourselves to it. We have to look along the beam. And we cannot do that unless we understand that it's from God. It's made by God and that we're made by God to perceive it. And you know what? There's a reciprocal thing goes on because when we come out from looking along the beam, then we start looking at the beam differently. Our objectivity is different because of what we've seen by looking along the beam. This is what uh, Lewis brings out. I hope that you can follow the point that he's trying to make. Don't just look at things but look at them with God's eyes along what their purpose is, why God has made them. Our mind needs constant transformation. Unfortunately, and this is for another message, the church is not concerned about the mind. Church generally. Christians generally, not concerned about the state of their minds. Oh, they are concerned about the state of their minds to get on with their careers, to learn things at college that will help them. They are concerned about their minds when it comes to money. They are, in today's world, concerned about their minds when concerned about health or concerned about um, politics or things like that. It's just they don't want to use their minds when they... Get in church. They have these expertise in different parts of their lives. These pieces of knowledge. But they have no knowledge, so many of them, of the word of God. Or how to engage the word of God when it comes to living their lives. Their minds are dormant. You say, well, that's not a nice thing to say, Paul. Do you recognize what I'm saying? There's a truth to what I'm saying, isn't there? And there's, there's a reason for that. It's because we're in the habit of ignoring verses like this. We think we're Christians, so we've been transformed, so we don't have to do anything today to be transformed again. But we do. That transformation, okay, is ahead. We've been born again, yes, that's been happened. We've been given the Holy Spirit, but then we've still got the old nature with us. And God requires, until we get to heaven, or until Jesus comes back, that we do the work of mind transformation every day. Finally, by the way, there is a number of... uh, verses that help us, the memory verse that we didn't do today. Steve. Galatians 2.20. Okay, let's turn to Galatians 2.20 together. Can some of you recite it without looking at it? I, I actually can't because I memorized it in the King James. So I need to memorize it in the New King James. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Paul telling himself the truth. That's him thinking. That's him resetting his mind. Back to Romans 12. This is the last thing that we'll say. This is our conclusion, Romans 12. Paul uses the word acceptable twice in this passage. 
Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Acceptable to God. And then in verse 2, he says, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you don't get the first, if you don't understand the first use of the term acceptable, you cannot know the second use of the term. You cannot know the acceptable and perfect will of God if you are not willing to reasonably transform your mind because it's acceptable to God to do it. If it's acceptable to God to to uh, offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, then it's unacceptable to God if we don't do it. And if we're not doing it, how on earth are we going to know the will of God? Let's all try daily. Won't be perfect. And it's not for to finger point at anybody because we all need it. Let's daily try to renew our minds so that they are ready to see the world as God sees it. Heavenly Father, we need our minds transformed, but Lord, we don't, uh, we, we know we can't wait around for you to do it. It's something that we should do and you have given us the resources to do by the word and by the spirit. And so, Lord, nudge us, bother us when that is not being done. Don't let us wander off into a day without offering our bodies and our minds to you. In Jesus' name we ask it.